Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Christian Nerd of Godcast. My name is Scott Higa. I am the Christian Nerd. And along with me, as always, for these wonderful, fun-filled adventures is everyone's favorite internet friend and mine, Tony T. What's up, Tony? I'm Tony T. I'm the Nerd of God. You're the Christian Nerd. This is two great tastes that taste great together. Tastes great. Less filling. Hey, that's something you might else. be less filling. <laughs> uh, we are. I am carbo loaded, sir. Uh, I you, had. You, I go. I am. I am the podcast host that goes straight to your thighs. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for branding? That is a brand. That is something you could say. Uh so yeah, we're <laughs> back. I probably won't. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you already <laughs> did, and this, we're not. We're not restarting this to take out that comment about going straight to your thighs. Dang it, man! What's your favorite <sighs> snack? Ooh, ooh, oh, uh, jelly beans. I think it's jelly, jelly beans. beans. I don't know why I went into Jeff Goldblum there. I, don't, <laughs> like, um, I, I love, and, and I don't know that I snack on jelly beans. That's like a little sweet thing, but I do love, I can pretty much always have just some jelly beans around, like jelly belly, specifically jelly belly jelly beans. Our, our pastor always has the big jar from Costco in his office and I'll dump them out. Nice. And then like, I just go through and pick out the ones that I want. So I always go after You're a the, monster. I am. I always pick out the caramel corn because I like that. And then my okay. boss also has almonds in his office. So if you get the roasted marshmallow and you eat mm-hmm. it with an almond, it kind of tastes like Ooh. a s'more. Strange combination. It works, though. I approve of that. I think that Jelly Bellies <clears throat> are, are designed for scientific experimentation. Like, you should take different flavors. I've never done it with, with you know, alternate substances, but different Jelly Bellies <laughs> should be eaten in different combinations for your own personal. It's, it's like, it's like a, a discovery lab. Like, hey, I've got orange, but I've also got vanilla. Watch me eat a creamsicle. Oh, wait a minute. Let me throw a pineapple in there and just go crazy on this thing. What is it about youth trips where students just think, I'm going to mix all the flavors of the soda and it'll be great? Like, why did we think that was cool when we were younger? You know, it's just, I I think there's a little bit of an empowerment vibe to it. I mean, when you're a kid, you don't get to do anything. You don't get to pick where you live. You don't, you barely get to pick what you wear. You don't get to choose it. But in that moment, when you've got that empty cup and you're standing in front of that soda dispenser, all rules are off. You are the maker of your own universe. And yeah, you, and they, they call it a suicide. And you know, that's what happens when we're, when free, free will is left in the hands (laughs) of the unlearned. Uh, but yeah, you put all those things in there, but see, for me, I love combining sodas. I think combining sodas, mixology of a, of a soft drink nature is, is one of my favorite things, but you can't just go straight, like equal mixes with everything because you can't like put Powerade in there. Their diet drinks don't belong in that. If there's an orange soda, maybe, maybe leave that out of the mix. I mean, you have to be smart about it. I don't drink soda really very often from, uh, I love soda. It's my fave. I, Hey, more power. I drink Coke zero and that's about it. And so if they I'd don't be have... half the man I am today if it wasn't for soda. <laughs> I I literally in what was it two thousand one or two thousand two I stopped drinking soda and like went on one walk a week and lost like thirty pounds because I was twenty and I stopped drinking soda. <laughs> well, we're all very happy for you, Scott. Well, it all, it all came back, and then now <laughs> the problem is if I want to try to lose any amount of weight. I don't eat soda. I don't drink soda. I don't eat anything. I go running six times a week and I gain weight. I'm like this being 40, almost 40 sucks. We have two kids now. So, you know, I do have two kids. It's hard to come back. Hard to come back from that pregnancy body. One of them screaming right now because he doesn't want to take his nap. 
Uh, well, he'll learn. He'll learn. So naps, I, naps, naps are proof that God loves us and he wants us to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to pull back something from that you did earlier in your show and we'll just throw yeah. it out here. What are you currently watching, reading and or playing nerd wise, oh, Tony? Yeah, man. So many things. Um, so many. I've, I, yeah, well, watching, reading, and playing are, are all three different vibes. So I'm I'm reading. I busted open. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but I started reading Jurassic Park again. Oh, the book. Um, the book. Yeah, which I haven't read since I was in high school, and it's really um, good. It's, it's really scary book. too. It is. It's definitely tonally different than the movie, yeah. which which I'm okay with. And I'm trying to not picture the actors from the movie as I reread the book. So I'm kind of recasting it in my mind based on the descriptions in the book. In my mind, so, everyone uh, would instance, just be Jeff Goldblum with his shirt hanging open. Like every all, character, all, well, yeah, <laughs> every character is that. The Tyrannosaurus Rex is that. Is Jeff Goldblum with yeah. the shirt off? Yeah. So I've recasted, uh, like, so Jeff Goldblum's character in in my mental movie as I read the book is Matthew McConaughey. Oh, I don't yeah. know why. That's just what I went with. Um, and then Grant, instead of being Sam Neill, um, I picked David Harbor Hopper from oh. uh, Stranger Things. So just you know, different combinations of people. Um, I did leave. Uh, Attenborough as uh, Hammond because I thought that was wonderful casting. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, Jurassic Park is, is so. And then I've been playing uh, a game called The Outer Worlds, uh, which is kind of it's basically uh, Fallout but in space. Yeah, I watched somebody. I actually watched somebody stream that on Twitch. It was uh, Isaac from the Infinity Rose who was playing that. So I actually. Yeah. Wanted to check that out because that is game. If I didn't have the aforementioned two children, that's a game I might actually want to play. <laughs> and then my son got, uh, he had the Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, and he has been riding me like, you've got to, you got to play this game. You got to play this game. So I kind of put the Outer Worlds on hold for a little bit, and I've been playing through Link's Awakening, which is just, a, it's just a pure delight. And that's a, a remake of an Link's older Awakening game, right? from the Game Boy. Yeah. From the Game Boy. Okay. Yeah. And then my wife and I have been watching, uh, and I hate to, to, I'm not endorsing this, but I am confessing this, uh, we've been watching The Witcher on Netflix. Yeah, that's one of those, I can't suggest you watch this, I can't recommend you watch it, but, you know, do as I do, not as I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it is. Uh, it's very not safe for church. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not pulling clips from that for youth group or anything. But, um, <laughs> well, but, maybe but, you're doing a love sex I, I dating do. series. <laughs> I like Henry Cavill as the Witcher more than I like him as Superman. Yeah, I feel like it seems like he does a like the later because I finished what well, I finished it. So the later on, like he gets better. I think like it starts. He's like, oh, he just talks in this monotonous, gruff tone, and he's just angry all the time. But his character gets some room to grow in the later episodes, which I. So I let enjoy. me ask you this because we're I think we're about to start the last episode. I think we're we haven't finished it yet, but we're on episode seven or eight. Yeah. Um, do you see a little bit of a, and I don't think it's a copycat thing, but a similar structure and bone set to Mandalorian? A little bit. Maybe. But look at the, like the way that the characters kind of go from like this sort of, you know, lone wolf, really tough monotone guy to actually kind of developing a little bit of a tenderness and, uh, they, they shouldn't be likable characters on paper, but yeah, anyway, I, I, I think it's really good, and I, I like the way they, they've developed a lot of even the side characters to be pretty strong, independent characters. So, have you played um, any of the games? So, yeah, I have played The Witcher 3, and today my wife started playing it. Okay. So, Because uh, I've you know not played any of the games. I read, it's not the first book, but it's the first book chronologically. It's called okay. The Last Wish, and it's kind of like comprised of four or five different like short tales of The Witcher, 
and they actually comprise the first four or five episodes of the series. So okay. at least the the Witcher portion. So I actually knew it was going to happen all those because I'd read about it. Gotcha. And I like the way they'd be kind of a little timey-wimey thing in the in this show. Yeah. So you're watching stuff, but you're not necessarily watching it in order. Yeah. And like when you start, when you realize like, oh, wait, this is totally out of order. Like when he pops yeah. up at the Queen's thing, like, wait a yeah. second, she's no longer living. Hashtag spoilers from the first episode. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it was good. My, my favorite little anecdote from that show is that the costume department had to keep making costumes for Henry Cavill because his muscles were so big that they were wearing out the costume. That's a jacked up dude, man. I mean, he is he is ripped, and uh, I don't know. He did a he did a great job. He's he's likable, and it's a it's a cool universe. It's a cool idea. It's kind of like a cross between um, Lord of the Rings and Skyrim, um, little little Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, it's it's, it's nice if you're familiar and comfortable with those kind of worlds, you you fit right in. Yes. What's going on here? But not recommended because we are a Christian podcasts. Oh yeah, yeah. I would ha- highly recommend you avoid watching it. But if you don't, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> All right, this episode we are going to be talking a lot of Batman, and I want to get okay. your you 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 like Batman a lot, Tony. You like Batman. I'm a Batman guy, dude. more That's than like, I that like is my Batman. love language. So uh, well, this was inspired because Matt Reeves released to oh, Vimeo, yeah, some test oh. footage of Robert Pattinson dressed as the Batman. It's really sweet. How many times footage. did you watch it before you convinced yourself that it wasn't fake? Uh, I I I. I was late to it, so the internet had already confirmed that it was real for me. So I knew I was watching something real. Um, and so, what did, what did you think of it? The the, the look, the the outfits, the muse, the music is killer. The music is amazing. Very very different. I, I I like the costume. It's it's super different. I mean, they, it's hard to see a whole lot going yeah. on because of the way this 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 shots are and the lighting. But I love the bat signal. It's all, it looks very Arkham City. Hmm. Um, the the cowl is very Earth One Batman, even with the little collar and stuff. Little Gotham by Gaslight action. I don't know. Like it's a cool, unique, fresh take on the Batman suit. And Robert Pattinson looks great. I mean, I'm I'm I, for what I've seen, which is nothing. Just yeah. this this quick shot of it. Uh, I'm I'm sold, man. What did you think? I thought I, I tweeted. It's like it's amazing that even in all these iterations of Batman, like he can still look cool. That still cool, regardless of how many different costumes. Like even going back to Adam West, you know, ridiculous drawn-on ears. Bat, like he still looks cool no matter what. He's the gosh darn Batman. Yeah. So yeah, it made me a little more excited. I, I don't think I was unexcited for it, but. You know, maybe DC trying to get away from their centralized universe and just trying to make movies that will hopefully make them some money and not being a laughing stock. Maybe that'll be good for us as fans of comic book movies. All right, so that's our Batman jumping off point. So now we have a little nerd shouting for you. I don't know what we're yelling about! I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. Nerd shouting! In nerd shouting, uh, one of us will pick a topic. It's basically, there's all those debate shows on sports talk television that are stupid, where it's just a bunch of dudes yelling at each other for an hour, and that's what we're supposed to deem as entertainment. But in- what do they yell about? What do you? What do? You, what is there yelling about? This guy's a really good third baseman. Is that what? Did he yell about that? Is that what it Basically, is? Basically, kind of. Or Doesn't, I don't see the appeal. You know, like LeBron James is 
better than Kawhi Leonard. No, he's, they just go back and forth. They just yell about stuff. It's really stupid. I recognize one of those names. LeBron James. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, hey, he's, you know, really, really popular. So, yeah, they just yell about stuff. So that's what we're going to do. But it will be, in, ah. in this case, it'll be entertaining. So okay. a, at this point, I have chosen the topic that we will debate. Tony I'm does not ears. know what it is. So I'll present my case to him. I will argue my side. Tony will argue his side. And then you, the listener, get to choose. So, Based on your setup, I assume it's Batman-related. It is Batman-related. This is a Batman-related episode. So, okay. The topic, I swear, if you give me, if I have to defend George Clooney's Batman, w- w- I'm, I'm hanging up on you, you right now. You do not have to defend George Clooney's okay. Batman. Right. You do, though, have to defend Batman oh. Returns against Batman Forever. So I am oh, arguing yeah. Oh, yeah. that All Batman right. Forever is the better movie, that Batman Forever is better than Batman Returns. I don't okay. tell you why Batman Returns is better than Batman. Oh, I'll tell you why Batman Forever is better than Batman Returns. Number one, wait, are, who, I'm what, saying what Batman Returns. On? You're on Batman Returns. You're wait, so hold on. You're Batman Returns. I'm Batman Forever. Okay, okay. I'm arguing for Batman Forever being the Val Kilmer, Two Val Face, Kilmer, Riddler, Two Face, Riddler, and I am Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, you okay, are go. arguing that. So number one, what's up with Danny DeVito? He's over the top, but in a creepy way, and nobody likes it. He like that. My biggest problem with Batman forever or batman returns i'm gonna get these confused all the time my biggest problem with batman returns is that it's sort of it's it's literally in between batman forever and batman 1989 but also like thematically it's in between those things like it's not as kind of quote-unquote dark as the 1989 version was but it's not like totally campy either like tim burton didn't know what he wanted to do like he wanted it to be this dark thing with this big background for Danny DeVito's Oswald Cobblepot, but then he also has penguins running around with rocket packs on. He has giant inflatable what rubber duckies rolling around. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he didn't know, totally he didn't know what he wanted to do, it seems like, whereas you bring in Joel Schumacher for Batman Forever, and everything's neon, everything's really bright, everything's ridiculous and over the top. Jim Carrey is absolutely just spot on in this role. It takes all his madness that we saw in roles like Ace Ventura and The Mask and really perfectly funnels it into his take on Enigma. I'll admit Val Kilmer's not that great as Bruce Wayne or Batman, but Nicole Kidman's way better than Michelle Pfeiffer. And Dr. Chase Meridian is my favorite Batman character ever, other than Batman himself. And you get Robin mixed in there, which is pretty good. You get nipples on the bat suit, which is something. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. And Batman Forever has a great soundtrack. And you have uh, U2 and you have Seal. Did Batman Returns even have Prince on the soundtrack? I don't know. Because nobody cares. <laughs> so that's why Batman Forever is better than Batman Returns, Tony. Well, I will, I will say this to that. Let's work backwards from your... <laughs> deeply flawed arguments. Very um, flawed. I'll just I'll un I'll untie them like one untangles <laughs> a headphone cable left in their pocket. Uh, first off, I appreciate Seal for what he is. He was on the Masked Singer, so we'll give him some credit. He he married a supermodel, so yay, Wait, yay Seal, for Seal. Seal's on the Masked Singer. He's an actual singer. Yeah, I know. It doesn't matter. You can you can still wear a mask. I Anyone they can took wear the people mask. People who Scott. like weren't that good singers. Scott, I'm sorry. I, I didn't interrupt you when you were making your ridiculous statements. But this isn't about Batman. This is about the Masked Singer. No one cared about me until I put on the mask. 
save it for another episode. Uh, so uh, Susie and the Banshees was the song that was uh, most notable from Batman Forever, and it's a great song. So you should Google that and listen to that because Susie and the Banshees killed it. I'm so thankful. I want to shout out to my friend Keith Stacy because I would have never remembered that if he wasn't such a big, insistent fan of that Susie and the Banshee song from Batman Forever. So that being said, or Batman Returns, here I am making it's the hard, same mistake that do. you made. You crisscrossed my applesauce. Uh, Don't cross streams. So, so, yeah, you know, there's there's some flaws in Batman Batman Returns. I, I, I'm not going to argue with you there. Um, there's some premise ideas that it seemed like maybe Tim Burton didn't really fully have the same vision uh, realized that he had in the 89 Batman. The whole Red Triangle Circus, very campy. Penguins with rocket packs, ridiculous. The parade of uh, of all the firstborn children of Gotham, uh, absolutely silly. Are we to believe that Pee Wee Herman was actually the Penguin's father? Apparently, according to this movie, that we are. Let's not focus on that, though. Let's focus on the strengths of this movie. Uh, the strengths of this movie are, A, consistency. The return of Michael Keaton as Batman. And... Uh, uh, one continuous storyline from one to the other. Let's not take for granted that up until that point, we hadn't really had a superhero franchise outside of the Christopher Reeve Superman, so the returning, the continuation of Michael Keaton as Batman was strong. That they acknowledged that the first movie even existed. So not only do you have Michael Goh as Alfred, you have Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon, so there's already kind of a brand consistency that's happening there. Um, what you're, you're seeing all of those things that were established in 89 added on with the increasing of different Batman tools, utilities, the, um, the, the Batmobile converting into like the bat ski thing there's there's an upgrade to all of the different things they acknowledge the first movie exists i love the line when he's like i'm not the one who invited vicky vale into the bat cave like that was great that was great (laughs) so there was like continuity things that were happening there so not only do we have that there's a familiarity to it you can take it off the explanation of the origin story we don't have to watch thomas and martha dying anymore but we can just kind of explore that universe a little bit more so so that's good number two this has Christopher Walken in it, and you've got to give some credit because Christopher Walken <laughs> shows up, and he's Max Shrek, and he's fantastic. Because is Max he's Shrek in the comics, or is that who cares? I don't. That's who what cares? I, that's, if, I don't know. If he was, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to. Him. I'm not trying to poke a hole in your. I just. I just don't know. And because of your extensive Batman knowledge, I was wondering if you knew if he was a comic book character, if they just created him for the movie. I don't believe so. I think that Max Shrek was uh, was uh, inspired for the movie. If I'm not mistaken, he was named for the actor who played um, Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Yeah. Okay. So that 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 seems to me like uh, a very Tim Burton thing to do. But uh, I could be wrong. I, I could be wrong. I don't remember him being in the comics. I think that he was just for the movie. Uh, but Chris Walken, man. I mean, that's it. That that that's that's him. He's. Uh, a third party. He's not the costume supervillain, but he does show that Gotham is a very corrupt city. That he that Batman has his work cut out from him from not only from without but also even from within. So you have that. But the biggest thing that Batman Returns has that Batman Forever does not have is a justifiable why. We know why the Penguin did what he did. We completely understand his motivation. He was rejected by his uh, aristocracy parents, the, 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 the whole he's not good enough. He was immediately rejected for his birth defects and his differences, raised by a bunch of freaks. I mean, there's, there's a whole 
understandable thing of why he wants to have revenge. The cloudy motivations there, how does he want revenge? He doesn't have a plan. He just knows that he has an emptiness in him. Does he want to be mayor or does he want to kill everybody? Whatever is going to get him the best revenge from that vacant absence of the love of a father. Can't we all relate to that? So we understand his why. We, we look at the life of Selena Kyle, and we see the way she's pushed around, she's bullied, she's not valued, she's overlooked by Max Shrek, by her boss, by society in general. And you know what? She wants a streak of empowerment. So what does she see after a near-death experience? She sees, I am Catwoman. Hear me meow, you know? So she puts on some leather, and she straps on her claws, and she jumps from rooftop to rooftop, asserting herself. You go, girl. You go, girl. She is today's woman. Like, I, as I like to call him, the Allie McBeal woman. So good for you, Michelle Pfeiffer. Good for you, Selena Kyle. We know her why, and we see her walking that out. So to me, what you're missing then when you get into Batman Forever is anybody's why. Why was Jim Carrey, why did he become the Riddler? Because he, he had Bruce uh, Wayne. Be, but he didn't. He loved Bruce Wayne. And he Bruce got rejected. Wayne rejected him. That's weird. That's not a motivation to do anything. And he was completely inspired to become the Riddler because he had a Zoltar machine in his house. So he wanted to, oh yeah, I'm going to dress up like that guy and go, that's stupid. Why is Tommy Lee Jones, why is he Two-Face? Because somebody threw acid at his face. There was no backstory given other than just like the most quick cursory glance at Oh, well, his face is messed up. So now he's got an entire, like, split mansion with, like, oh, over here is Drew Barrymore and over here, you know, like like that, all of a sudden, like, he he's duality. But even though we take for granted that because we understand those characters, they never explore that in the movie. And even when they have the moments to explore it, they completely fail at the nuance of the characters. My, my heart cringes in the moments when Two-Face flips the coin and he's unsatisfied with the result of the coin toss, so he keeps flipping it, trying to get the answer that he wants. Because Two-Face is equally good and equally bad. But not in this movie. In this movie, he's just a thug that's half, you know, made up and half Tommy Lee Jones. Ridiculous. Robin. Do I even need to talk about Robin? Yeah, because he's great. Cause he's the only good. He's the only good thing in this movie. <laughs> so I get what you're saying, and you're right on everything you said. But what and then, I like and finally, about my fi- my final case, okay. holy rusted metal Batman. Holy rust. What? There's a bunch of holes. Missiles. Got rolls. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This movie is so tongue in cheek, so it ridiculously is, over-top. which is why I like it so much because mm-hmm. Batman, Batman 1989 was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Batman right. Returns was just. It got mired in so much of like the darkness and all like all this stuff is trying to pack. Like Batman Forever was like, let's just have something that's fun. So we don't need to have long, complicated backstories or motivations for all our characters. You know why? Because we have Jim Carrey chewing the crap out of the scenery. We have Joel Schumacher making everything look like freaking Las Vegas. We have Christopher Chris O'Donnell running around being a teenage heartthrob. We like it it said, you know what? It was basically, it said, let's take all the summer blockbuster aspects of Batman and Batman Returns, and let's just make a movie based on those. Well, I get there's not a lot of character development, and Val Kilmer's kind of like, do I want to be Batman? Do I not want to be Batman? I don't know. I can't figure it out. Whatever. Let's just make something that's fun, and for a 13-year-old Scott Higa, made him very, very excited to sit in that theater. 
that was like the first movie I saw without my parents. That's probably why I like it so much. Yours, yours is based off of, you know, intelligently well thought out arguments. And mine's like, yeah, but I saw it when I was 13 and it's brightly colored. So, <laughs> you know. So let us know what you think. And now we have a Batman related list. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You just made the list. You just made the list. The list. All right. In this list, we are going to share our favorite moments from Batman's long history. Now, we. This I've, is the most difficult thing you've ever asked me to do, Scott. I know, because I limited you to five things. Five things in in 81 years. In 81 years. See, the, the beneficial thing for me is I've never read a Batman comic. So all of my Batman knowledge comes from movies or television shows. So it was much easier for me than it was for you. So I'll start <clears throat> in no particular order, but I'll say my number one. Are we, thing. are we going back and forth or am I just, yeah, let's go back. We'll go back and forth. So my, okay. my number one is Batman, the animated series opening credits, five o'clock PM after school, channel 11 yeah. every day. I would watch that show. And that shows so awesome. It took all the best parts of the 1989 Batman movie and distilled them mm-hmm. into the greatest comic the greatest cartoon show ever i think i don't and, and beyond the theme song there was no denying the connection stylistically between those two oh movies. absolutely the, the old style the art deco and, and everything yeah. yeah just un but just that just that opening scene where it like you know the wb <clears throat> the wb logo turns into that weird blimp that was always hanging out over gotham yeah, what was up with the blimps like police blimps in gotham yeah, police blimps but just and like it's the same. It's Danny Elfman's theme, but I know that's the 1989 Batman theme. But in my heart, it makes it's me think. It makes series. me think of the animated series more than more than the movie. And you know, just just such a great series. Like introduced Harley Quinn as a character. So many great moments. Like Clay Clayface. Mark Hamill is the Joker. Mark Hamill is the Joker. Clayface wasn't introduced in that, but such a great villain. It's just and so funny. Like there's one episode where it's all the villains just talking about how they almost got him. And it's just, yeah. it's such a perfect episode. And Croc's like, I almost hit him with a brick once. And they just all laugh at Croc. Like, it's just, and then Croc ends up being Batman. But it was so One good. of my favorite things about that was the way it was serialized in a, in a like, a legitimately yeah. good way that they started out with Harvey Dent and not Two-Face. Yeah. They gave characters actual origins. Like, they treated them like real characters. Like Batman Forever more, did. It was great. It's like, just like <laughs> Batman Forever didn't do. Right. <laughs> So yeah, yeah I'll that, never argue. I'll never argue with on that animated. The animated series was was a gift it's to Batman so good. fans. What what's what's number one on your list, Tony? Maybe not number one in your heart, but at least number one when how you wrote them down. So okay, well yeah, th- these are not in any particular order. These were in the the order in which I could remember them. Um, Batman number two fifty one comic book. Uh, I think it was it was Neil Adams or Dick Giordano was the artist, but the art style is so iconic. This picture of that that kind of tall, lean 1970s Batman with the gray and the blue cowl, and he's kind of leaping on the beach towards <laughs> you. If you even if you've never read this comic, you've definitely seen that image. But um, but I first experienced this not in comic book form. I experienced it as Viewmaster slides. Do you remember Viewmasters? Yeah. The, the little, little camera ch- looking thing, and you yeah. kind of click, 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 and watch through it. So it, I, I kind of learned, watched that story for the first time as Viewmaster Slides. That was smartphones was so for us in the 80s. 
That's right. That's exactly what it was. It was home entertainment. Uh, we didn't have tablets. We had red plastic binoculars that mm-hmm. you can look at. Sl- yeah. So it, it was Batman versus the Joker, and uh, Batman ended up saving this old man and by being handcuffed and do- dropped into a shark tank. So you, how cool is it to see a handcuffed Batman underwater fighting a great white shark? That's amazing. And uh, finally, at the end, it's it's this great scene of just Batman kind of like leaping out and taking care of the Joker. And it's just a, a wonderful visual feast when it comes to Batman stylistically. Yeah, I've definitely missed out on Batman comics as I've never read a Batman comic in my life. Ron gave me Batman Year One, the, the graphic novel to read. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. And he gave it to me like four years ago. I should probably give it back to him. In, in 89, when Batman Fever swept the nation... They put out a series of cool collections of trade paperbacks that were like the Batman, the greatest Batman stories ever told. And it would have like 30 or 40 different kind of like little mini Batman Mm. stories. So you got a real good cross sampling from the early days in the 1940s through at that point, uh, the late 70s and early 80s. And you can really see a lot of the different storytelling, a lot of the different art styles. Uh, So that really gave me a great appreciation of Batman kind of as a character historically. Mm. And uh, that's definitely one of my favorite Batman stories. Cool. Number two on my list uh, comes from The Dark Knight, which I think is probably, I still think it's probably the, like, the best superhero movie, I think, in terms of just everything that goes into it. Um, it's the truck chase scene. Yeah, from, really, no, no argument there. Oh, yeah. the truck chase scene. The oh. truck chase scene is so good. And I remember I saw The Dark Knight in IMAX. Because Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. had filmed specific scenes, and so that one is in IMAX, and so it's just the scene yes. where Joker's standing there saying "Come on, come on," and like in the but the, on, in the in the truck flips over like on the giant IMAX screen. It yeah. is that is I mean Christopher Nolan is an amazing director, and the just the fact that you had this basically this auteur, like this really great filmmaker apply his trade to Batman is I mean it'd be yeah. like if Wes Anderson made some quirky, you know, superhero movie. Just what would that look like? But man, that truck chase scene in the Dark Knight, uh, just the Dark Knight in general, but the truck chase scene. I was going to say, I would have a hard time choosing between that and even just the simple, the bank robbery at the beginning yeah, of the, the Joker. Ba- yeah. Which so is good. just brilliant. Yeah. <sighs> the, I want to go watch the Dark Knight. I saw it on Netflix last night and I thought I should watch this because it makes me so happy. Batman Begins is also yeah. on there, which is also so good. Batman Begins but is Batman great. Begins is only good as a lead into the Dark Knight. No, I like Batman Begins as it as it. No, was. I like it, but it it, it does it, it stands better with the other. Oh yeah, totally. Did you? I was looking. That came out 15 years ago, which is almost as much time between 1989 Batman and Batman Begins, which is nuts. That it yeah. seems so long between 1989 Batman and Batman Begins, but it's been yeah. almost just as much time since Batman Begins. That's crazy to me. Yeah. And next year, Lord of the Rings will be out for Begins t- came out. And I was so glad. I'm like, oh, there's a Batman movie coming out. But the one you really want to watch out for, Fantastic Four, is coming out this summer. <laughs> and it's going to be so good. The guy that did Barbershop is, come on. Uh, I've never seen any of those movies. Uh, What's number two on your list, Tony? Uh, yeah. Uh, number two on my list is uh, the Arkham games. Oh, yes. Being able to become Batman. I played Batman video games before for years and years and years, from the Commodore 64 to the Nintendo Entertainment System and the Game Boy. Uh, but but to, to go into the Arkham games, you actually got to become 
Batman and the best parts of Batman, not just the fisticuffs Batman, not just running around and kicking, but you had his full arsenal of tools and gadgets, which was great, full-on detective modes, and they would put you in a room, and it would be filled with guards, and you could actually become Batman because you could create your own path to defeating them, whether you were hanging upside down from a, a gargoyle and you zip them up and then suspend them up above you, or you come up through the grates or bust through a wall... And as you were doing it, the villains, the henchmen that you were fighting against would actually increase in their fear levels. And you mm. can see their pulse rates increasing and they would they their their tactics would change accordingly. Like they would they would huddle up or they would kind of stay closer together or they would come across one of their fallen uh, comrades and they would get alarmed and afraid and you could play the fear angle against them. And there was there's never been an experience where I felt more like Batman than playing the Arkham how, games. How many of those games are there? Are there three, four? There was uh, four, uh, five if you count. There's a side-scrolling one that they did for the PSP. Okay. But uh, yeah, there's there's Arkham Arkham Asylum, Arkham City. Then they did an Arkham Origins, Arkham Origins, which was um, kind of a backstory, kind of year one. And mm-hmm. then Arkham Knight was the last one. And then I think the la- the the side-scrolling one was Arkham Blackgate. That doesn't count. It like, doesn't count. Like the Link side-scrolling adventure, it doesn't really count. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. All right, uh, I would like to play those at some point in my life, but you maybe. must. I, I I want to. You know, I'll get PS3, around to three, man. You can probably get them for like three dollars at GameStop right now. I really hope that on the new heaven and earth, when Jesus turns, like there's still like Netflix and video games, so I have an eternity to do all these things that I want to do. Yeah, I'm while sure pra- while exactly. while while praising God. Exactly, exactly what you're thinking of. Well, you know that if you have video games in heaven, you're going to always have to be player two. Jesus is player one. <laughs> Every time. Why do so I got to be like Luigi? Luigi? Shut up. I'm Jesus. Okay, you're right. <laughs> your, your theology is so wrong right now. My it's theology nothing is like all my over Jesus. the place. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Number three uh, on my list is from is from the 1989 Batman. I love, <clears throat> I love, I love. Jack Nicholson, we didn't talk about him, but Jack Nicholson is great as the Joker in so many different ways yeah. than Mark Hamill or obviously Heath Ledger. But Jack Nicholson great and just the scene where he says bob gun bob gives him the gun and he shoots bob (laughs) like because that's out because he's like you i'm an one guy like like he's so into bob and bob's this very important henchman and then just just in a passing moment bob gun like that scene's so perfect i love that so much yeah that's it i just love that it makes me laugh. So, it's so perfect. So mine is is eighty nine Batman. I mean, it just is just what it is. I, I, the, the, I would say the whole thing. I have some really key moments. Uh, that whole scene in the museum, man the the Guggenheim Museum, uh, the the Flugelheim Museum. I guess the Gotham City version was. Uh, you know, the where does he get these wonderful toys and the Prince the music playing in the, in the background. The whole Gotham Cathedral. With the, with the, with the bat wing at the parade and, you know, the, the, that whole thing, you know, um, you know, who do you trust? Hubba, 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 money, yeah. money, money. Who do you trust? Yeah. Me? I'm where you're giving away free money. And where is the Batman? He's at home washing his tights. Yeah. You know, those great moments. But to me, like, the, the most iconic moment of that movie, uh, and I, it sets the whole thing up beautifully, is just in the beginning when you have the, the two street thugs. They rob the, uh-huh. the tourist family. They're up on the roof kind of going through their wallet and purse and stuff like that. And Batman comes down off the yeah. roof above them. And he grabs the guy, like, I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. Uh-huh. What are you? I'm Batman. Yeah. And that's it. Like, that's so iconic, that whole, like, I'm Batman. It it, it kind of 
became a, a lasting staple of who he was. And that was a great moment. I mean, we, that was the first time we saw like a live action Batman that was like the Batman. Yeah. That it's... wasn't a pow crash, boom, bam, golly gee, holy priceless collection of Etruscan snoods, Batman. That That's coming up on my number four. But uh, for 19, 19- so <clears throat> I love 1989 Batman and I love the Batwing. I love when he's flying over. I love when he flies up, puts the Batwing over the moon but you notice in that scene, for no one's it's benefit cloudy. but ours. It's, yeah, it's cloudy. <laughs> like nobody in Gotham can see that because it's really, really overcast. But just for us, you know, and I guess just, just for, for us, Bruce Wayne would be like, "Look what I can do! I can make the bat signal on the moon." But it was that's an such inspired a crazy moment. <clears throat> it was. I, I'm inspired by that. Uh, number four on my list, as I mentioned, does come from the 1960s Batman series, which was my introduction to Batman. I remember watching it on. Saturday afternoons at my grandparents' house, oh, yeah. actually, in All San Diego. Of ours, man. And, and it was always out of order. So, like, why is Catwoman different sometimes? Why is she Eartha Kitt sometimes? Why is she Julie Newmar sometimes? I don't really know what's going on. All the, you know, the, the rogues gallery. The hey, No one is talking to you, Siri. Jeez. Um, and, but my favorite scene is from the Batman, you know, quote-unquote movie, when Batman's yeah. got the bomb and he's just running around the pier trying to throw it into the water <laughs> and he can't ever do it. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> he, he's, he's running around and he's like, then all of a sudden there's like a baby carriage. He just turns around and runs the other way. Then there's nuns and he has to turn the other way. <laughs> That's just such a perfect snapshot of what that whole show was about. I, I know. And then, and then you, then as you... I could have said a lot from this. Like, I love the scenes where they're walking up the building and very clearly not walking up a building, just walking vertical right. on a set with camera turned. And all of a sudden, and, then, and there's, there's Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> popping out of the window. <laughs> yeah. And then the older <clears throat> you get and you, you know, you read all the stories about all the shenanigans that were taking place on the set and how it is just this campy, subversive, just sexually charged thing that you weren't aware of when you're eight years old. But now if you go back and watch like, Oh my goodness, like this is amazing in so many different ways. Yeah. Who was your favorite Catwoman on that show? Uh, Julie Newmar, Leanne Merriweather, or Eartha Kitt? Oh, I didn't even know about Leanne Mer- Merriweather. I would say Julie I think New- she was just in the movie. Okay. I would say Julie Newmar. Yeah. I think. Yeah, she's classic. But so is Eartha. I mean, Eartha yeah. Kitt. Like, how do you top Eartha Kitt? Like, she looks and sounds like a cat. Like, that's. Yeah. That's she spectacular. Acts like, yeah. Now, now that's a lot of people don't remember that. You, now, one of the best, the Riddler from that show, uh, but they they had a they had a substitute Riddler. So, um, gosh, why can't I think of the guy's name right now? Uh, Frank Gorshin was the Riddler. Yeah, in the show. But then there was like one series of episodes. I think it was in season three or somewhere in the middle of it, where they had John Aston play the Riddler. Hmm. Just really weird to have Gomez Adams as the Riddler just all of a sudden. That is weird. But yeah. Frank Gorshin was, was, cool. was great. Frank Gorshin was the best, the best villain in that show to me. Yeah, ah, Caesar Romero is so good. Caesar Romero and his mustache. Yeah, just fun stuff. What, what's your number um, four, there, right, yeah. Mr. Talavera? I wish every one that you're saying is making me wish that I would have changed mine. Uh, okay, so there was this comic book uh, back. I want to say it was in the '70s. And they redid it on the animated series. So even if you didn't read the comic, you probably know the story. And you, you got a couple street youths. You have a couple young people that are troubled 
kids from poor neighborhoods, and Bruce Wayne, as part of a philanthropic uh, adventure of the Wayne Foundation, takes these kids who have never seen anything but uh, urban sprawl, he takes them to, to the woods for a little camping weekend. So Bruce Wayne is out camping with these kids, and the conversation turns to Batman, and these kids start telling what they know about the Batman. Mm. So one kid begins telling the story and he's like, oh, Batman's like this, you know, super tall, like vampire guy. I know, you know, my brother saw him when he was working at this job or whatever and he came in and, you know, he's he's got these leathery wings and he, you know, he rips people in half, whatever. And then the next kid uh, begins telling a story and he, and his, in his version, Batman is all like tech-based and he's black and he's mm. like, oh yeah, Batman's like Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali and Superfly and Shaft all rolled into one and he begins to tell this story about like basically like a black man in an Iron Man suit that's mm. Batman and then the next one so they all they all kind of tell their own versions of of how they remember Batman being and then at the end of the story Bruce Wayne jumps out of the shadows saying I think Batman looks like this and he's wearing the Batman suit uh. and the kids just laugh at him and they're like that's stupid Mr. Wayne we're going to bed <laughs> <laughs> and his conclusion is you know Batman is only designed to strike fear into the hearts of the guilty, yeah. not the innocent. That's awesome. And uh, they, but they redid it on the animated series. So it was. I think they did a show. It was called Le- Legends of the Dark Knight. Mm. And in that one, they they told the same story, but they raised the bar in that one of the stories. The kids tell like this old like Bill Finger like really super campy 1960s style Batman story, and they tell it in that style. And it's all very silly. And then the one kid talks about story of Batman being like really grim and violent, and they tell it in the frame of The Dark Knight Returns. Do they animate uh, it so like it, that way? Yeah, and it's oh. animated like that. Yeah, That's it's, awesome. it's it's probably my one of my favorite, if not my favorite, episodes of the animated series. Really, really good. It might have been in the New Adventures of Batman and Robin. Okay. And number yeah, that, five on my list, it. as I've already argued, is Batman Forever. I love that movie. I know it's not very good. <laughs> But, you know, like some movies come out in a specific time in a specific place. And like I said, really, like the first the first movie I saw in the theater, like with my friends, like that is a that's a momentous occasion for a a 13 year old. And I think I saw it. It was the summer before I was going into high school. I mean, it it, like it just like everything lined up perfectly for that to be, you know, just like my Batman. And I recognize that there's so many other better Batmans now, but that that was my Batman, and, and it was, it was great. Yeah. What's and last you know, on your I, list? You can crap on the movie, but it was a fun movie. Yeah, it was fun. Fun movie. Uh, last one on my list is this moment from the mo- the book The Dark Knight Returns, uh, Frank Miller, where at the end of all the things. Batman kind of goes through. It's an old Batman that comes out of retirement uh, in a very different world than he left. All the superheroes have been made illegal, you know, and, and he's his coming back and putting down some of these other supervillains and street gangs that have come out uh, has kind of caused a, 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 to raise the ire of the powers that be. And the president of the United States basically sends the legalized, the one deputized superhero who is Superman to Gotham to shut down. Batman to mm. basically put him out of commission to take him out and Batman knows it and he's like bring it on bring it on Boy Scout and you the book concludes with Batman old man Batman versus Superman and in that moment Batman completely being ready for Superman Batman beats the ever loving snot out of Superman I mean just knocks him silly and in that moment he has his hands around his neck and he says I want you to remember Clark in all the years to come, in your most private moments, I want you to remember my hand at your throat. I want you to remember the one man who beat you. And that, to me, is perfect. 
such a wonderful moment. And then Batman dies of a heart attack. (laughs) Hashtag spoilers. (laughs) But, um, yeah, spoilers for a 30-year-old book. Uh, But, yeah, just a great, great moment of showing, dude, Batman is totally bad to the bone, and do not screw with him. Yeah. Because he has a plan for you already. He has a plan for you. Like God has a plan for your life, Batman <laughs> has a plan to take you out if you. Yeah, if it's you mostly a plan a for your death. Like I love. It's <laughs> who is like it's the it's the it's some Instagram kind of like superhero texts and like it's like just fake superhero text messages back and forth and all like half of them are just Batman like plotting how he's going to beat people up. It's like hey, I've got I've got this plan. Like when uh, Jack Donaghy meets uh, Angie, uh, Tracy's wife. It's like yeah, every time mm-hmm. I every time I look at somebody, I figure out how I'm going to fight him. <laughs> Like, what? Okay. <laughs> well, they did a story, I think, uh, one time where, where that got away from them, where the, the bad guys ended up getting Batman's plans on how he could take mm. out the Justice League and using it against them. Mm. So now they're all mad at Batman because they wouldn't, you know, they're all getting beaten and it's Batman's fault because he doesn't trust anybody. <laughs> well, he's Batman. What do you expect? He's you, got, you, got, you got a lot of trust issues when your parents get murdered in front of you. Absolutely. 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 All right. Let so us many know. great Batman moments. So many great. And we missed so many because we only listed 10. So let us know what your favorite Batman moments are. And we will agree with you and be like, you're right. I can't believe we forgot the scene where Robin is doing his laundry and then slides into the Batcave. You're right. We forgot that. We totally, that should have been number one on both of our lists. I'm yeah. sorry. We, we let you down. If anybody mentions anything to do with Alicia Silverstone as one of their favorite moments, though, we're going to block you. How did they get so? No, we don't. That's that's we don't need to go down that. That's just that's just a rabbit trail. Yeah, we don't need to get down. Let's just re- forget about Batman and Robin. Putting it aside. Putting it aside. Let us know what we missed, and uh, we will be more than happy to hear from you. Now, let's have a little Bible study. Bible study. In Bible study, it is what it is. It's what it says. There's not a lot of. Uh, uh, it's not just know. a clever title. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to pick it like, what this really means. Like, oh, we're going we're gonna to talk about the Bible. Uh, one of my favorite parts, we talked a little bit about Batman uh, Begins, is Rachel uh, thinks that Bruce Wayne is just this playboy not doing anything. And she tells him that it's not, you know who you are that matters. It's what you do that defines you. And then he turns that around on her when they're hanging out in the narrows. And he says, it's what I do that defines me, which I appreciate. I think that's a great line. I think it's a great way to sort of look at Batman and who he really is. And it made me think of some Bible. It made me look at James chapter two, verses 14 through 19. Yeah. Which says, what good is it? My brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James is so snarky. He is a little. Sn- I guess if you're Jesus' brother, you sort of get along. You can kind of be to, be as snarky as you want to be. Yeah, like 
I love, there's so many different things in this that he's like so hostile, like passive aggressive in this. Very much so. And maybe that's why I like it so much, because I tend to be a little snarky myself when it comes to my life. So what about this passage, Tony encourages you? So uh, to me, when you're reading this, because James is a very real writer. I mean, he's writing from a, a real life perspective. He has lived it. He has experienced it firsthand. And I love the way he writes because what he writes really implies experience with this. Like he's not writing something that's just academic or theoretical. Like he's writing an applicational thing. And he he's asking a challenging question. Hey, what good is it? Like, what does it do? How does it help if you want to talk about your faith? If you want to sit there and say, look how shiny our Bibles are, or look how shiny uh, our, pe- our pedestals are that we want to sit ourselves on, but you're not affecting anything. Uh, James really sums it up by, by equating salvation and true religion with impact. Yeah, And I love that he's like, I know what you're going to say already. <laughs> you know, it's like he, he, he says this whole thing of like, what good is it? Now, hold on. I know what you're going to say. In verse 18, he's like, but, but someone will say, well, you have faith. I have deeds. And he just straight up calls him out. He says, show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. He's like, he, he just straight up like says, you, you want to pull them out and measure right now? Let, let's pull it out right now because I'm going to show you what I did. And you can draw that right back to my faith. But no, no, no. Show me what your faith does if it's not doing anything. Yeah. Like James doesn't pull any punches on that. And that's good. Sometimes we need someone that's going to shine a really bright light on what we're doing or what we're not doing and call us out on it. That's great. Way yeah. to go, Pastor James. I really, I really like the book of James. For, like the entire book is like that. It's just super practical, doesn't pull any punches. Obviously, Paul is great. Pauline theology is great. Everything that happens in Romans and Corinthians for our faith is tremendous. But James basically, like he's, he's just, he, he's, he's been a pastor of a congregation for a long time in Jerusalem. And he just says, hey, hey, just do this. Like he doesn't like he doesn't need a lot of the flowery language, you know, because he like Paul's like traveled around. And he went away and like he studied like Paul's this great guy. But James is like Paul's the kind of itinerant apostle, missionary pastor. Like James is the one who's been in a congregation for a long time. He looks at his flock. He looks at his congregation. He's like, you know what, fools? You just need to get on. You, you got to get in shape. Like you got You got to You got to get your ducks in a row. And stop, stop talking about, oh, I've got this great faith. Like, because he sees these people day in and day out. So he's like, yeah, but what's it doing? So he's kind of just yeah. that great pastoral prophetic voice. And I think both of us being involved in church ministry, like, had like just looking at students and like students who just keep having the same problems over and over again. And at some point, you just got to sit them down, like, hey, pull your head out of your butt and do what's right. You know like it's kind of that that attitude which I really like yeah. about this passage. And not e- not even students though. I mean with adults that get yeah. very comfortable and complacent in their faith and they just think that showing up is the uh-huh. biggest part of of what they want to do. It'd be the same thing if you went to a, a job and you just didn't do the job but you think punching the clock is all that you have to do. It's like, well, you can pay me now cuz I'm on the clock. Yeah, but you have to do the job too. I mean, do you yeah. want the reward? Do you really want the job to get done? And that's what James calling him out on. I think it's great. I yeah. think it's great. It's so convicting. Looks like you've been missing a lot of work lately, Peter. Wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. Michael Bolton. I celebrate the man's entire <laughs> For my what? nickel, you can't get a finer entertainer. Why should I be the one to change? He sucks. <laughs> Uh, again, a perfect movie for a perfect time in my life. Indeed. Uh, what about what about this passage? Uh, 
challenges you there, Mr. Talavera. Oh, I don't. I think that for for people that are in vocational ministry, time, there the urgency of it sometimes diminishes because we can show up on Sunday and have church. We can yeah. show up on Wednesday and have Bible study. Like we can do the things and check them off the list, and that puts us in in a high level of danger for getting at exactly what James is talking against. Like we can show up and say, look at our faith, look at our faith, look at, listen to our talk uh-huh. and look at all the things that we do for the kingdom, but we don't actually have to do anything. All we're doing is just kind of punching in. And there's such a conviction of if the question could be asked, if your church just got Thanos snapped out of, out of your city right now, would anybody even notice? Mm-hmm. And besides the people that go to your church, would anybody even notice? Like, are you making any kind of an impact at all? There's an old song from the 1970s. It's a super 1970s song uh, by a Christian musician named Keith Green. Have you ever heard of Keith Green? Yeah. He was a California guy. And it's called Asleep in the Light. And it draws from this. And it's like, do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? And there's the, the, the hook to the song says, he brings people to your door and you turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace. Mm. And all heaven just weeps because mm. Jesus came to your door and you left him out in the streets. And it's so convicting, so convicting that we can have a good church and not be a good church. That we can follow after Jesus and completely miss all of the things that he stops for. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think I kind of, I, I look at this passage, kind of what you were saying that, you know, we, we were like, yeah, you're right. Like, look at, like, I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And then I'm like, well, do I, but do I only kind of, like it's like, do I only have deeds? Like, is there any faith behind the things that I'm doing? Am I, or that's am I too. just, am I just going through <clears throat> the motions? Uh, because yeah. I think that's a big fear that I have being in not, not just vocational ministry, but just being a follower of Jesus, that it's so easy just to go through the motions to, to not, to not eat, to, to, to live a life that looks like Christ, to not be sinful, to be yeah. a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good, like whatever, like we can be, we like, we can appear like we're doing things that are, you know, what Jesus calls us to do, but is there actual faith or am I just being a good person? Like, right. like Jesus doesn't call me to be a good person. Like he calls me to be wholeheartedly committed and sold out for him. And on the surface, it can look like I'm doing that because like, I'm a good father. I am a good husband. I'm you know, like doing all these great things, but is there any actual faith behind that? Or is it just, am I just, you know, am I, am I, am I wearing a mask? Like we talked yeah, about. And the danger I think comes not only when we do it, because sometimes listen, I, there, there's a, a level of fake it till you make it. I hate to say that because it sounds like such a bad term, but there's a level to which sometimes you have to just keep doing it even when you're not feeling it. Yeah, absolutely. But the danger comes when we do it for the benefit of others and not for the benefit of God, meaning we do it so that other people will be impressed with us. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and Ananias and Sapphira kind of vibe. Uh-huh. Like, Look what we did. Look what we did. And God's like, yep, yeah, you didn't do nothing. You're dead. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think there's a, I, I always, I always think about that. Like there's, you know, in conversations even in my own, mostly it's in my, been my own thought process. Like there are times where like my heart doesn't feel it. Like mm-hmm. in my head, I know I should do these things that'll draw me closer to Christ. In my head, I know I should do these, but my heart's not there. And then it's easy yeah. to say, well, if my heart's not in it, then I shouldn't do it. Like that's stupid. And in, in yeah. my, sometimes like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll in faith, I'll lay the tracks knowing these things that are, I'm supposed to do. I'll lay the tracks for my faith, trusting that the, the engine of my heart will sometime, will some point catch up to the tracks that I've laid. 
And so that's how I always think about it. But sometimes it it is that fear of, you know, like I'm laying tracks, but I don't even care if the train's going to come. Like I'm just putting on the show. I'm just doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do because I want my wife to like me. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to feel guilty. Like I'm just doing like, like you said, for all the, all the wrong reasons. Whereas the real reason is, am I, am I in love with Jesus? Like, am I living a life that's in love with Jesus? It's dangerous in, in church culture, especially Western church culture, because there's a little bit of a celebrity vibe to it. I mean, when you're mm-hmm. on stage, you when you're the pastor, when you're the one that people look to, and you're the worship leader, there there's a little bit of like a celebrity, a cult of personality that goes along with that. And it's easy to play to that. It's easy to say, yeah. uh, well, as long as I look good in front of people, as long as it looks good and sounds good and everything looks right, um, even if you feel like it's the right thing, but you're not connected to the, the discipline and the following and the ministry of it, it's like in the dark night. You don't want to be the guy that's out there wearing hockey pads trying to be Batman, <laughs> but you don't have the strength to stand up underneath it, man. I mean, I think of, think of the, the seven sons of Skiba, you know, like they really thought they were going to go out and change the world and do something great, but they didn't have the, uh, the utility belt <laughs> pulled all the way up. You know, they didn't have what it took and they got smacked down. And I don't want to, I don't want my faith to be artificial. I don't want my faith to be something that's like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm just faking it till I make it. But at the same time, I don't want to get out there all gung-ho and eager either. And boy, I, I didn't spend the time in prayer and I didn't spend the time really getting my strength from the Holy Spirit to back up my walk. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, this is such like, you know, these headings weren't in the Bible, but it says faith and deeds. Like they have to go together. Like you can't have one without the other, which is what James is saying. Like if you have authentic faith, you're going to have authentic work. Because if you have authentic works, you're going to have authentic faith. So it's just... Scott, you just reminded me of something very important. Okay. Very important. Faith and deeds, you can't have one without the other. It's like chocolate and peanut butter. They go so much better together. Though I had... they. It, we were recently coming off Valentine's Day. They had the Reese's peanut butter cup hearts. Yeah. J- trash. Horrible. No? Just, See, because that was my next step was we're, we're talking about liking it. Like you and I love the, the peanut butter and chocolate combination. But unless I actually get up and go to the store right now while they're 50% off, my my love and my faith and my confidence that they exist on sale somewhere won't actually put the delicious chocolate and peanut butter in my tummy. Yeah. I've got to actually do something you about ha- it. You do have to do something about it. But don't do the hearts because have- the, they're too small. The ratio is off. Not good. Wait, wait well, until I'm after go Easter. Get Russell Stover's chocolate hearts. Then either way, I'm going to do something because I love it so much, and I believe that they're on sale right now. I'm going to put faith in. I'm action. going to. Ta- I'm hanging up right now, Tony, and I'm going to Target. I'm going to get that 50 percent off chocolate. Because if I don't go, how's it going to make it? How's you, it going to come to my? How's do it, how do you taste do it? you even love peanut butter and chocolate if you don't do that, Tony? Do you I even don't love peanut butter and chocolate? The fruit of your, you know, I'll judge you by your fruit. So I'll text you later this afternoon, be like. Did you go to Target and get some cheap candy? And you'll say no. I'm like, well, I, I doubt whether or not you actually love peanut butter and chocolate. Gosh, I, don't ever let me don't ever don't let anybody ever look at my faith and my deeds and and question my love for Jesus. Uh, sincerely, on a real note. I hope they don't. But I like, but it, but it, but it, but is that challenge? Right? It's like, uh, you know, like Jesus says, like you'll know them by their fruit. I'm like, oh shoot, what fruit have I produced lately? Um, so convicting. I usually just keep a bag of other people's fruit with me just in case. I'm like, oh, banana? I, I'm banana, associated with mango? that person somewhere. Uh, I'm responsible for that. Would you like an of. apricot? Look at what the Lord has done. Uh, uh, what would you want to share with someone listening about this passage and how it might encourage them? 
Well, the nice thing is that, that deeds should be a natural outpouring of faith, and, and God has given each of us the measure of faith. So that means that, that deeds are a, they're an accessible thing, because a lot of people will look and they'll see great things in the Bible and they'll feel disqualified. I can't, I can't do what Paul did. I can't do what James did. I can't do what Jesus did. And that's okay. Maybe you don't have to. Maybe you can only do what you have to do. If God has given you the measure of faith, that faith is going to manifest itself in deeds. So do whatsoever your hand, your hand can find to do. Do it with all your might. You know, there's something for you to do. That's my encouragement. Flip side of that, I would encourage people that have seen Christians that haven't been so good at that to say, yeah, sometimes we're guilty of having faith and not having the, having the talk and not having the walk, if you will. This is something that the Bible teaches us against. Yet yeah, don't judge Jesus by the failures of his people because he tells us right here that we should be doing that. And if we fall short of it, that's on us, not on him. Yeah. And the, yeah, I think that's the, the, the encouragement is like, you know, if we, if we all know Christians who, like you said, are hypocritical and don't talk, you know, would talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. It's like, yeah, we, we know that. So how are, how are we going to be different? What are we going to set up? How are we yep. going to be a different example that if, if you yep. have someone in your life that, you know, a coworker or a friend at school or a family member is like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be around Christians. Like I don't want anything to do with Jesus because Christians are so hypocritical. How can you say, yes, that is accurate, but let me give you a different definition of what it looks like to be like, you can be a different definition. You can show somebody what Christians actually should live like. And that means yeah. being honest about your faults and your failures, but also, you know, striving to live with a faith that produces some good works and some good deeds. And then, Absolutely. and sometimes like we think that, Oh, like, look at Moses, his good deed was parting the red sea. Like here, James is like, yeah, but did you, did you feed somebody? Did you buy somebody dinner? Did you help somebody stay warm? Like sometimes we want like the deeds to be these giant things where very often James and Jesus, it's like, no, it's just, it's the little things. Like, did you do something yeah. little for the least of these? Like our deeds don't have to be giant. They can be yeah. the small everyday things we do in love because we're compelled to because we love Jesus so much. Because Jesus has done a great thing for us, it empowers and enables us to do a small thing for somebody else in love because of Jesus. Yep. Humble, honest, and just from who you are because that's what God made you to be. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, Tony, thanks for recording podcasts with me. Scotty, thank you for spending time with me on a Saturday afternoon. Saturday morning for me. Get it out of the way. <laughs> Don't have to worry about it on a Sunday, though it'll still be like 9 o'clock on Sunday. And I'm like, oh, i got to edit that thing and put it together. But that's okay. Well, thank you. God bless your ministry. I, I think that, that people don't know how much work it takes to put some of these things together. So if you are a, a fan of the product that you hear, either on the Nerd of Godcast or the Christian Nerd, if you enjoy the Christian Nerd of Godcast, go to Patreon.com. Uh, look up Scott. Scott is editing this episode and putting it out for your enjoyment and your edification. So find the Christian Nerd on Patreon and become a patron. I was going to say, oh. you could be like Two-Face and flip a coin. Like, go to Patreon and flip a coin, and whoever you want, you know, like, like let the coin determine who you're going to choose to be a patron of. And then or be like Two-Faced and keep, keep flipping it until it comes up with my show. <laughs> Toss a coin to your podcaster, Valley of Plenty. <laughs> Don't watch that show. But seriously, it's really good. Uh, but if you do, you'll like it. <laughs> but if you do, you'll like it. Uh, hey, Tony, where can people find you on the internet? 
I'm so glad that you asked, Scott. You can find us at uh, nerdofgodcast.com or across all the social medias at nerdofgodcast. If I was looking for you, where can I find you, You Scotty? can find me uh, on the interwebs at thechristianer.com or just follow me on Twitter at Scott Higa or at Christian underscore nerd. That, that's the best place to hang out with me on the, on the internets because I love Twitter. And if you can't find him because you forgot that underscore, which I do all the time, just go to Nerd of Godcast because we retweet him all the time. Also, whoever owns Christian Nerd, you jerk, let it go. Let me have it. You haven't tweeted in forever. Let me go look up this guy because there is a Christian Nerd. Twitter.com slash Christian Nerd. Jonathan Schoen joined March 2009, has three followers... His last tweet was March 25th, 2009. That's almost 10 years. No, that that's over 10 years ago. This guy could be dead. Jonathan. He could be dead right now. We wouldn't he, even know. He's dead to me, and he has been since I tried getting that Twitter handle 10 years ago. So I want – I'm, I'm the T-O-N-Y-T on all media platforms except for Twitter where some other guy is the T-O-N-Y-T, and I have to be It's Me, Tony T, which isn't bad, but I just I, – I want brand consistency. I like It's Me, Tony T. I'm basically Scott Higa everywhere. Which is fun. Now I'm looking to see. I'm looking at what Twitter names are available. I know. It's lots of fun. Uh, Pin tweet. Check out the official crossover between Christ culture and nerd culture. It's a nerd of God cast. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I feel like there's a Jars well, of Clay stuff. song for whatever emotion I'm feeling. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Oh, That's did you get your PS4 fixed ever? Yeah, I saw you tweeting no. about that. No, they, they sent me a link that I can call them and talk to them. And I'm looking for the proper motivation and level of spiritual tone that I can call them without losing my sanctification ah no let this one fly you'll get a pass <laughs> okay let's do it uh please record it for me oh, <laughs> all right goodbye tony goodbye scott goodbye internet